But today we are looking at Proverbs, I mean not Proverbs, that was on my mind. We're looking at Genesis chapter 34 through 36. And the point of this passage is that everybody worships something all the time. We're always worshiping something. Worship simply means this. It's not music. Oftentimes we think worship. Oh, we're singing worship music. Well, that's a way to worship, but worship, I just simply think of it this way. Worth-ship. Worth-ship. It's giving something worth and honor that it deserves, okay? Or maybe it doesn't deserve, but you're giving it. You're giving that place of kind of the highest place in your life, the highest throne in your life, worth-ship. So, the question that we for today is this are you worshiping yourself or are you worshiping god and that really is the question for us all the time moment by moment are we worshiping ourselves or are we worshiping god and we're going to see in this passage lots of people worshiping themselves but then we see uh, turn the corner in chapter 35 where jacob is worshiping god all right, so let's, let's take a look at this. Worshiping self, chapter 34, starting in verse 1. Now Dinah, the daughter of Leah, whom she had borne to Jacob, went out to see the women of the land. And when Shechem, the son of Hamor, the Hivite, the prince of the land, saw her, he seized her and lay with her and humiliated her. The first way we see someone worshiping themselves is by worshiping sex. They're back in Canaan now. Jacob and his clan is back in Canaan, the promised land. And now Jacob's daughter goes out, Dinah, and she gets raped by this guy named Shechem. Okay, there's no pleasant way to put this. This is what happens. Shechem worshipped himself in that moment, specifically worshipped his sexual desires. I want sex and I want it now. His desires just overtook him. He was his own master. He was in control. He was worshiping himself in that moment. And it's not that sex is bad. It's, it's actually beautiful and delightful, God's way in the context of marriage with one man and one woman, right? But it is destructive outside of God's manner, and especially destructive in this manner that just totally abuses this beautiful gift. So Shechem is worshiping him himself worshiping sex when you worship yourself and worship sex it, it becomes demanding and destructive and it was demanding and destructive then in this story and it is demanding and destructive now in 2020 every time we choose to worship ourselves or sex today we are choosing a demanding and destructive terrible path Sex is a terrible God. Next, we see Shechem is worshiping himself by worshiping relationships. Look at verse 3. And his soul, Shechem, his soul was drawn to Dinah, the daughter of Jacob. He loved the young woman and spoke tenderly to her. So Shechem spoke to her, his father, Hamor, saying, Get me this girl for my wife. Shechem also said to her father and to her brothers, Let me find favor in your eyes, and whatever you say to me, I will give. Ask me for as great a bride price and gift as you will, and I will give whatever you say to me. Only give me the young woman to be my wife. Shechem 
is worshiping this relationship with Dinah, no matter what the cost. No matter what the cost, he's worshiping this person instead of God. He goes to his dad, and then he goes to Dinah's dad, Jacob, and, and uh, her brothers, and is like, hey, I want this relationship. I want to marry her. And he's actually just worshiping himself. I want her, no matter what. Now he's demanding it. And he's demanding a wife. It's, a, it's an insatiable desire that he has. I, I can't get enough of her, at least until another lovely gal comes along and I take advantage of her. See, it's insatiable. It's never enough for him. He's worshiping himself by worshiping this relationship. And it's demanding and insatiable. And it was demanding and insatiable then. And it is demanding and insatiable now to worship relationships. You never quite get what you wanted from that other person when you worship a relationship. And here's why. They're sinful, they're flawed, they're quirky, okay? And you come to discover that relationships are really hard. It always leaves you looking for Mr. or Mrs. Right when a Mr. or Mrs. Right doesn't actually exist because they are not God. See, we're trying to find this perfect person. There's no perfect person. Who, who we need to worship is God, and he puts our relationships in order. Relationships are terrible gods. Next, we see Shechem's dad, Hamor, worshiping his kids. Verse 6, And Hamor, the father of Shechem, went out to Jacob to speak with him. The sons of Jacob had come in from the field as soon as they heard of it, and the men were indignant and very angry because he had done an outrageous thing in Israel by lying with Jacob's daughter. For such a thing must not be done. But Hamor spoke with them, saying, The soul of my son Shechem longs for your daughter. Please give her to him to be his wife. Make marriages with us. Give your daughters to us and take our daughters for yourselves. You shall dwell with us and the land shall be open to you. Dwell and trade in it and get property in it. Here, we see that Hamor is worshiping his kids. Hamor bends over backwards for his son Shechem and seemingly ignores the fact that he rapes Dinah and tries to just gloss over the situation. He's not even scolding Shechem. He's just doing whatever his son wants now. He's, he's not just doing his son a favor. He is worshiping his son by doing this. He's worshiping his son's desires. His son's desires are more important than what is right. He's actually, though, just worshiping himself because he didn't want to deal with his son like he should have. This reminds me of Willy Wonka, the, the old Willy Wonka movie, okay, with, with Gene Wilder. If you haven't seen it, you got to see it. You, you have to go see it, but uh, Baruch Assault. Remember Baruch Assault? Okay, she wanted whatever she wanted now. Her whole, her dad who was rich just gave her everything she wanted. Oh, daddy, can you please get me that golden ticket? So he has all of his workers find the golden ticket and then they get into to Wonka's factory and she ends up wanting this, this goose that lays golden eggs and she wants it now and she sings this song in this British accent, which I'm not great at. But anyway, you gotta watch the movie, but this is what, this is what Shechem is like. 
He's like Baruch Assault, but Hamor, Shechem's dad, is a lot like Baruch Assault's dad. He just gives her everything that she wants. And here, Hamor just gives him Shechem anything that he wants, regardless of whether it's right or, or wrong. He's worshiping his kids. When you worship your kids, you're actually worshiping yourself. And it was destructive and demanding then, and it is demanding and destructive now when we worship our kids. You see, our kids need to know that they are made under authority, good, benevolent authority, the loving authority of God, first and foremost, and then under our authority as parents, because God put us in that place. And we, when we bow to every desire of our kids, when we just give in to everything, they become spoiled and entitled and selfish. And kids end up becoming the parents. The kids become in control. And this destroys kids. We end up teaching kids to worship themselves instead of God, worship their own desires. I will give you whatever you want. No, we need to teach them to worship God, that, that we are made to be under authority, and that is a great thing. So a question for you. How do your kids clearly see in your life that God is greater than they are to you? How do your kids clearly see that God is a higher priority that you worship God more than you worship them. Do they see church, connection group, biblical godly rest as greater priorities than activities going on? You see, worshiping yourself and worshiping your kids is demanding and destructive. Kids are terrible gods. Next, we see them worshiping vengeance. Verse 13, the sons of Jacob answered Shechem and his father Hamor deceitfully because he had defiled their sister Dinah. <clears throat> they said to, to them, we cannot do this thing to give our sister to one who is uncircumcised, for that would be a disgrace to us. Only on this condition will we agree with you that you will become as we are by every male among you being circumcised. Then we will give our daughters to you and we will take your daughters to ourselves and we will dwell with you and become one people. But if you will not listen to us and be circumcised, then we will take our daughter and we will be gone. Their words pleased Hamor and Hamor's son Shechem. And the young man did not delay to do the thing because he delighted in Jacob's daughter. Now he was the most honored of all his father's house. So Hamor and his son Shechem came to the gate of their city and spoke to the men of the city saying, these men are at peace with us. Let them dwell in the land and trade in it. For behold, the land is large enough for them. Let us take their daughters as wives and let us give them our daughters. Only on this condition will the men agree to dwell with us to become one people when every male among us is circumcised as they are circumcised. Will not their livestock, their property, and all their beasts be ours? Only let us agree with them, and they will dwell with us. And all who went out of the gate of the city listened to Hamor and his son Shechem, and every male was circumcised, all who went out of the gate of this city. Now, here's where it gets terrible. Verse 25, on, that, on the third day, when they were sore, 
Two of the sons of Jacob, Simeon and Levi, Dinah's brothers, took their swords and came against the city while it felt secure and killed all the males. They killed Hamor and his son Shechem with the sword and took Dinah out of Shechem's house and went away. The sons of Jacob came upon the slain and plundered the city because they had defiled their sister. They took their flocks and their herds, their donkeys and whatever was in the city and in the field and their wealth and all their little ones and their wives, all that was in the houses they captured and plundered. Gruesome story. Jacob's brothers take vengeance on Hamor's crew, on this whole city. Why? Because they defiled and raped their sister. They're not just seeking justice though, which would have been good and right for them to do, right? They're seeking vengeance and they get vengeance. Vengeance is not just revenge, it's violent revenge. Add deceitful to this as well. They tricked them into being circumcised so that they would be weak, so they could go in and just kill them. And not just kill them, murder them. See, they are worshiping vengeance itself. If I can just repay them, then I'll feel better about myself. Ultimately, they're just worshiping themselves though and their own feelings. And, and we all know, even when you, when you get, you see this in movies, right? Maybe you've experienced yourself. Even when you get revenge or vengeance, violent, violent uh, revenge, you still feel terrible because nothing actually brings back takes back the hurt and the pain that you experienced. And this is what happens. They worship vengeance itself. And this was certainly demanding, right? They demanded them to be circumcised and it was destructive. I mean, they killed everyone there, all the males. But it was also insatiable. I guarantee they were left dissatisfied. They still were like, oh, but they still did that to our sister. I doubt they felt better about themselves. They were worshiping themselves. They were worshiping vengeance, demanding, destructive, insatiable. It was then and it is now when we worship vengeance. It is demanding, destructive, and insatiable. Violent revenge just creates more hurt and more pain and more problems than we had to begin with. Vengeance is a terrible God. Next, we see Jacob getting in on it. Jacob worships comfort. Go back a few verses. Verse 5, 34, verse 5. And Jacob heard that he had defiled his daughter, Dinah. But his sons were with his livestock in the field. So Jacob held his peace until they came in. Now, dads of daughters in this room today what is wrong with jacob's reaction here just hears that his daughter was defiled was raped and he sits back doesn't that make you angry what's wrong with his response is that it's a no response it's it's incredibly passive if anything he needs to be at least be seeking the lord right or or going and trying to to make things right maybe not having vengeance violent revenge but he's got to deal with this but no i'll just sit back probably because dinah was the daughter of leah who he kind of got tricked into marrying to start with so um which which is messed up as well 
But this is totally inappropriate, passive and inappropriate. At least Dinah's brothers cared about her. But then Jacob continues to just seek his own comfort. You see, he just didn't want to deal with it. I want to stay comfortable. 34 verse 30, Then Jacob said to Simeon and Levi, You have brought trouble on me. This is after they go and kill everyone. Okay, You have brought trouble on me by making me stink in the inhabitants of the land, the Canaanites and the Perizzites. My numbers are few. And if they gather themselves against me and attack me, I shall be destroyed, both I and my household. Did you hear all of the, the I's and the me's and the my? See, it's about him. My comfort is destroyed now. Thanks for going and killing them, right? Now everyone's upset in this land. Thanks, guys. See, Jacob just cared about his comfort. Only when all of the chaos disturbs his potential comfort does, that, does Jacob do anything. See, when you worship yourself, and worship comfort, it is destructive. It was destructive then, and it's destructive now. Comfort is a terrible God. Lastly, we see prosperity. Chapter 36, I'm not gonna read chapter 36, you can look at it yourself, but we see this lineage of Esau, and Esau gains great wealth and lots of family. And, and yes, this was God promising or fulfilling his promise to Esau. He said he would bless Esau, so he's doing that. But if you look at all of these names, it's fascinating. Only two of the names mentioned in this chapter of his descendants, of his sons and daughters, have the name of God in them. L, E-L. Most include sensual pleasures in the name. And one name even has the pagan god Baal in it. Esau clearly was worshiping himself and worshiping his own prosperity, not God, which will produce destruction. As, as we're going to see, one of his son's sons, I believe, is, uh, they become the Amalekites. Okay, and, and lots of other enemies we're going to see of Israel as, as you continue to read through the Old Testament are descendants of Esau. Worshiping prosperity is destructive and insatiable. You always want more, and it was then, and it is now. But I just want to pull back for a minute. Worshiping yourself. We saw in, in each of these circumstances, we, we saw three things, three threads weaving through this. When we worship ourself, self is demanding. Self is destructive, and self is insatiable. See, when you worship yourself, it's demanding. It'll cost you something that you actually need. At the very least, it costs you the joy of walking with God when you are worshiping yourself. It is demanding. We are terrible gods. When we worship ourselves, we are so demanding and not full of grace, but full of law and full of, I need this and I need this now. And it's also very destructive. When you worship yourself, it is destructive. It hurts and destroys relationships, hurts and destroys people all around you, leaves, leaves a path of just brokenness all around us. And usually before we even realize it, 
destructive. When we worship ourselves, it's insatiable as well. We are never satisfied. It's never enough. We're always discontent because we're trying to find hope and joy in life in things that do not bring hope and joy in life. We ourselves do not have the answer to our problem. We ourselves are sinful, messed up, in desperate need of God. And so if we leave him out of the picture and don't worship him, of course we're less left dissatisfied at the end of the day. But we can't just deny worshiping ourselves because it's bad and it's wrong. Don't worship yourself because it's bad and it's wrong. We need to deny worshiping ourselves because it's demanding, destructive, and insatiable. Don't just tell yourself, oh, it's bad to worship yourself. Don't worship comfort. Don't worship these things. No. Don't do it because it's demanding, destructive, and insatiable. Can't be satisfied by it. Won't bring you what you desire. But this is all in sharp contrast to worshiping God. God is gracious. He protects and satisfies. And that's what we see in chapter 35. See, in chapter 34, God is not mentioned at all. He is just eerily out of the picture in chapter 34. And people worship themselves and, and they're demanding and destructive and insatiable. God, we see in chapter 35, when he is worshipped, when he's the focus, he is gracious, protective, and satisfies. Chapter 35 is all about God. So let's look at 35. Verse 1, God said to Jacob, Arise, go to Bethel, and dwell there. Make an altar there to the God who appeared to you when you fled from your brother Esau. So Jacob said to his household and to all who were with him, Put away the foreign gods that are among you, and purify yourselves, and change your garments. Then let us arise and go up to Bethel, so that I may make there an altar to the God who answers me in the day of my distress and has been with me wherever I have gone. So they gave to Jacob all the foreign gods that they had and the rings that were in their ears. Jacob hid them under the terebinth tree that was near Shechem. See, when, when you worship God, God is gracious. We see in verses one through four here. Even after Jacob's sons were so vengeful, and apparently it started worshiping foreign gods, we learn here. God shows them grace, undeserved favor. God still pursues Jacob in the fulfillment of his promise. And thankfully, his family responds well to God's grace. And Jacob responds well to God's grace and gives up their gods. And even says their earrings, which was probably a part of their pagan worship. But God shows them grace that they didn't deserve at all. Self shows no grace and just demands. God shows grace. Self demands. Next, we see God protecting. Verse 5, And they journeyed, uh, and as they journeyed, a terror from God fell upon the cities that were around them, so that they did not pursue the sons of Jacob. And Jacob came to Luz, that is Bethel, which is in the land of Canaan, he and all the people who were with him. And there he built an altar and called the place 
El Bethel because there God had revealed himself to him when he fled from his brother. God protects by causing whole cities to be afraid of attacking Jacob's family as they're going through this land. God is fulfilling his promise to be with them and he protects them as they follow his leading. He protects them. See, when we worship ourselves, though, it destroys others and it destroys ourselves. When we follow its desires and we follow its leading, our, our own selves leading, and it's destructive, but God protects. Self destroys. Next, we see that God satisfies. Verse 9, God appeared to Jacob again when he came from Paddan Aram and blessed him. And God said to him, your name is Jacob. No longer shall your name be called Jacob, but Israel shall be your name. So he called his name Israel. And God said to him, I am God Almighty. Be fruitful and multiply. A nation and a company of nations shall come from you. And kings shall come from your own body. The land that I gave to Abraham and Isaac, I will give to you, and I will give the land to your offspring after you. Then God went up from him in the place where he had spoken with him. God satisfies Jacob by affirming his new identity with his new name. Remember, he was given this name before Israel. And he also satisfies him by promising blessings nations, prestige, land, all of the things that he promised Abraham and Isaac before him. He promises to Jacob and gives him a whole new identity. See, he's, he, it's full of hope and full of joy. God is satisfying Jacob, who doesn't deserve this, remember? He was just worshiping his own comfort, but yet God pours it out on him because he promised him this. And because Jacob is now worshiping God. Now, God satisfies, whereas self is never satisfied. God satisfies Jacob with this promise of, a, of an incredible God-sized blessing, and self never satisfies. We're never satisfied with a small man-sized glimpse of pleasure, but God gives us what we desire and what we need and ultimately will give us what we've always longed for in heaven with him. And it makes me think of, um, you guys know that I love Mountain Dew, okay? It makes me think of like, if someone just gave me a cap on a Mountain Dew bottle of Mountain Dew and said, here you go, and drank it. I mean, I, it, I'd, I'd almost be mad because it's like, oh, I don't, it's not, it's just a taste. Like I, I want the whole thing, right? I want the whole bottle. Versus, and versus having something like this, okay? This is incredible. I think Corwin, props to you. I think you shared this with me on Facebook one time. I mean, you just got this endless supply of Mountain Dew. Granted, you have to stock it, but I could pay someone to stock it. Okay, it'd be worth it, I think. That's the difference between worshiping God and worshiping self. Worshiping self, you just get these little tastes. And just, you want more and more, but it's never quite satisfying enough where God is just limitless pouring out his grace and himself on us. So 
So I want to share a story of my own with you. So I was, I remember not that long ago, okay? I, I was pretty stressed. So I was turning to my phone for escape and for comfort and for satisfaction. And then after getting even more stressed by this de-stressor, my phone was supposed to help de-stress me. Of course it did not. I went on a walk, put some worship music on in my earbuds. It was praying and I actually felt comfort and satisfaction. And here's why. When we turn to ourselves and to the things of this world, they don't satisfy us. We, we, they actually leave us more dissatisfied. But when we turn to God, like I did in that moment, that's where we find true satisfaction. So last, I just want to focus on the fact that worship has feet. Worship requires action. So we see in, in chapter 35, 14 to 29, this is what happens. And I just want to highlight a couple of verses in here. Reuben did something in these verses. And it's a real quick verse. You miss it if you blink. But Reuben, the firstborn son of Jacob, did something to worship himself. Verse 22, 35, 22. While Israel lived in that land, Reuben went and lay with Bilhah, his father's concubine, and Israel heard of it. Shechem did something to worship himself, right? He worshiped sex, he worshiped relationships. Hamor did something to worship himself, his kids. Jacob's sons did something to worship himself. They sought vengeance. Jacob did something to worship himself by just making comfort his God. Esau did something to worship himself by seeking prosperity. Now we see here Reuben worshiping himself by again making sex his God. Pleasure his God. But worship has feet. Whether you're worshiping God or something else, it requires action. They all took some action or, or in Jacob's case, inaction. But it requires movement. It has feet. Jacob, though, in chapter 35, does something to worship. Look at verse 14. And Jacob set up a pillar in the place where he had spoken with him, a pillar of stone. He poured out a drink offering on it and poured oil on it. So Jacob called the name of the place where God had spoken to him, Bethel. Jacob worships, but he, he does it with action. He sets up a pillar. He worship requires action. You don't just passively drift into worship of God. No, you have to actively do something. You see, Jesus did something to worship his father. He deliberately went to the cross to die for sinners. He didn't just happen to find himself in those circumstances. He chose that. He deliberately went to the cross to die for sinners like you and me. And we, when we are daily tempted to worship ourselves in place of God, we need to do something instead of that thing. And I don't just mean read your Bible. I'm going to worship God by reading my Bible, although it could be that. It, it could just be simply leaving a tempting situation, going to a different room, getting out of the house, something like that. It could be forcing yourself to listen to worship music when, when you just don't want to. 
It could be thanking God as the giver of the, the things that you're tempted to worship, like your kids or prosperity or comfort. It could be calling a friend instead of doing this other thing. But it takes action. You have to actually do something in place of it. Replace, replace, replace. You will worship something. John Calvin said that our hearts are idol factories. We're great at coming up with other things to worship and replace them with. So we have to replace these things that we're worshiping with healthy ways to worship God. Get rid of one selfish thing. But don't let that selfish thing get replaced by another selfish thing. We have to replace. So here's your homework. Brainstorm with God, with the Holy Spirit this week, and with a friend or, or a spouse or both, and ask, hey, how do I commonly worship myself? How do you see me worshiping myself? Maybe it's sex, relationships, kids, vengeance, comfort, prosperity. Could be a number of di different things as well. How do you most commonly drift into worshiping yourself? And then how could you worship God in place of yourself in that situation? Requires action. For me, um, not that long ago, uh, it was and still tends to be at points, um, the comfort of overeating. I realized I was worshiping eating food. And it, no surprise, a lot of my illustrations end up being about food, right? Um, but overeating, which is not honoring to God, which is making an idol of God, is or of food, I'm worshiping food. So I replaced that with counting calories and working out more diligently. And, and here's the thing, I didn't weigh myself, hardly ever, and still don't. I wasn't doing it to lose weight or to look good. That's, that's not what I, why I was doing it. I was doing it because I realized that my goal was to worship God, but I also want to worship food. And God's like, no, I want to be the king of your heart. I want to be the object of your worship. And so it's great. It's helped me get on a healthier pattern with eating to where I know generally what I can eat um, and how much I can eat, that's, that's a healthy amount. So I'm not making food, my God. But it's a battle, right? I mean, one moment we're worshiping ourselves and the next God and the next ourselves and the next God. But God is so gracious with us in this battle. Find hope that even on your horribly selfish days, God is there offering grace for the next day and the next day because of what his son has done for us. And also, God is gracious with us in the battle by giving us his Holy Spirit and his power to resist in our strongest moments of temptation. We don't have to be overcome. We can choose to worship God instead of whatever that thing is by the power of the Holy Spirit. So remember and believe these truths as motivation in the battle this week. The God of self is demanding, destructive, and insatiable, but God is gracious, protective, and satisfies. Worship him instead of yourself. Let's pray. God, I thank you that you are worthy, that you satisfy God. 
And I think of that psalm where it says, uh, it, it, it's the psalmist crying out, Lord, satisfy us this morning with your steadfast love. So I pray that's what would happen. That we would be satisfied each morning, each afternoon, each evening with your steadfast, unfailing, never giving up love. And that would motivate us to worship you instead of ourselves. And because of it, we would, we would, we would find that you are so good. That we would taste and see that you really are good, God. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.